Well, as you have your Bibles open to Exodus 40, you see that we are at the end. We began our study through Exodus, if you can believe it, a little over a year ago on September 12, 2010. With some breaks in between for the seasons of Advent and Lent, I have preached a total of 45 messages from this book, including today's sermon. Most messages covered a section within a chapter, some covered a verse, and others several chapters. One message was dedicated to each of the Ten Commandments. There was a message dedicated to the tabernacle and its furniture. And another message, last week's in fact, focused on the creation and installation of the priesthood. I truly hope that you have enjoyed our time in Exodus as much as I have. As your pastor, it's been my prayer throughout that the Lord would encourage you and guide you in this series. And today, as we come to the end of the story, we're going to take a moment to consider the key lessons that we've learned along the way. But let's not get ahead of ourselves yet. We have a little bit more to read before we can do that. As you recall, a broken relationship has been repaired and renewed. The tabernacle in the renewing of that relationship has been built and the priesthood has been consecrated. And now as we come to the last words of the story of Exodus, the Lord comes to dwell with his people, his beloved, the Israelites. If you'll read with me from Exodus chapter 40, starting at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we come to the end of the book of Exodus, and what do we see? What is the last image that we're left with? Well, if we look quickly, the last image that we're left with is God in a tent, out in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by razor-sharp and rocky mountains, hot desert sands and sparse vegetation, are camped a bunch of refugees, former slaves living off the wilderness, making their way to a new home. And in the center of their encampment is a neater, more elaborate dwelling, but it is still just a tent. A tent, in fact, shrouded by a great foggy cloud. At first glance, it doesn't look like much. From the outside looking in, if we really are honest, it all kind of seems rather anticlimactic. But hopefully, We've learned by now not just to focus on an isolated image when it comes to this God. We always need to remember, and Exodus has shown us this, that there's always a larger picture in view, whether it's the book of Exodus or the story of our lives. So if we step back, not just from what we've seen in these few verses, but if we step back and we take a broader look, where are we now versus where this story began? In the first chapter of Exodus, I don't know if you recall, it's been so long ago, but in the first chapter of Exodus, it was noted that the Lord was apparently absent. Prosperity had turned to slavery in Egypt, and for 450 years, it didn't seem like God was doing much about it. It turned out, however, 
from the very first chapter that while the Lord could not be seen, he was still at work. All attempts, you'll remember, to control the growing population of the Israelites repeatedly failed. Even foreigners, midwives like Shipra and Puah, defied Pharaoh and helped to make Israel a mighty nation. A baby boy, a future savior, isn't just spared from death. He grows up in the court and custom of his current oppressor and future rival. Beloved, even when we can't see him, God is with us. And perhaps you need to hear that today. Maybe you're in a place this morning where God seems absent in your life. Is there anybody out there? Is there anybody listening? Does anyone notice? Does anyone care? Are these the questions that often run through your mind this morning? If so, Exodus proclaims to you that you are not alone. There is more going on than what you see before you. You will not always be in the dark. You will not always hear only silence as you call out. The Lord is with you, working for you, close to you, even when you can't see him. As the people were suffering, the Israelites themselves cried out for a sign. And we witnessed together how the Lord revealed his presence through a burning bush. The Lord shared his voice with his people as he called forth Moses and Aaron. Through ten plagues, Yahweh proved that he was with them every step of the way as he took down their oppressors. As he dethroned every rival god of Egypt, the Lord finished with Pharaoh himself with the parting and subsequent downpour of the Red Sea. Beloved, even when we are suffering, God is with us. Are you crying out to the Lord today? Silently, loudly, are you crying out to the Lord today? Do you feel persecuted this morning? Is the weight of your oppression starting to break you? Why me? Why now? Why this? How much more of this am I supposed to take? Are these your repeated questions? Are you looking for a sign? Well, there's a bush burning with your name on it. There's a voice calling to you from out of the wilderness. I have heard your cries and I will rescue you. I will show you my signs and my wonders. My brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are one who is suffering this morning, the story of Exodus, the God behind the story, in the story, proclaims to you that your chains will be broken. Your suffering will end. You will pass through the waters. There will be justice. There will be redemption. Hold on. Don't let go. God is with us. God is with you, holding you up, rescuing you, even as you suffer. And yet how quickly, how quickly the people forgot the Lord's provision, didn't they? How easy it was to just grumble and complain. Where's the food? What about the water? Who's going to settle my dispute? Who's going to listen to my opinion? You call this living? 
You call that a leader? Maybe we ought to turn back. Maybe it wasn't as bad living in Egypt as we thought. And still the Lord was with them. Still he provided for them. Manna, quail, water, protection, organization, structure, law, order. Each and every day, Yahweh filled their bellies, quenched their thirst, and met their needs. Beloved, even when we are ungrateful, God is with us. How appropriate it is to ask this question on the weekend before Thanksgiving. Have you forgotten to count your blessings? How much of your life, your possessions, do you take as a given? Do you assert as a right, as what's owed to you? Is grumbling your regular disposition? Does complaining come easier for you than gratitude? What have you done for me lately? I want it the way that I want it. If you won't give me what I want, I'll go and get it somewhere else. Are you dragging your feet? Digging in your heels? Ready to take your ball and go home? Be thankful that the Lord your God isn't so fickle. Stop whining and acknowledge how blessed you are. Taste the manna. Drink from the rock. Marvel at the tabernacle. Listen to the ten words. What do you have that the Lord has not first given you? Consider the lilies of the field. All that you need has and will be provided. Stop worrying. Learn how to say thank you. Learn not only how to give thanksgiving, but how to practice thankful living. God is with you. God is with us, my brothers and sisters in Christ. God is with us, caring for us, supplying our needs, even as we grumble and complain. But the grumbling in the wilderness was only the beginning. It was only the beginning. But Yahweh married the Israelites anyway, right there on Mount Sinai. They cut covenant together. They had a wedding and a feast the honeymoon period had only just started, 40 days in, 40 days too long. Out of sight, out of mind, and the bride had second thoughts. Israel built an idol to represent the Lord's presence. Boy, there's nothing like putting your spouse in a mold that you can manage. Rejected and betrayed, Yahweh moved out. He almost moved away. It was nearly over. But when Moses interceded, the Lord couldn't say no. The Lord couldn't let go. Beloved, even when we break his heart, our God is with us. How many lovers will we try and keep? We can go through the motions all we want. We can say the right words. We can put on a good face. But a husband always knows when his beloved is cheating especially when it's the Lord. You cannot serve two masters. You will either love one or hate the other. 
False gods are like false loves. They will make you feel good, but they will never go the distance. With the best of intentions, we can push away, we can forsake the ones we love. All it takes is a flirtation with temptation. All it takes is sharing your heart with someone, with something else. He can take the rejection. He can swallow the betrayal. The question is, can you? What price are you paying for dividing your heart? At what cost are you giving your heart away? Come home. All is forgiven. Put your ring back on. You are his. And he is yours. Come back to the altar Renew your vows. Receive the kind of love you can't find anywhere else. My brothers and sisters in Christ, God is with us, forgiving us, renewing his commitment, honoring his promise, offering himself to us even as we break his heart. From apparent absence to undeniable presence, one of the grandest lessons of the Exodus story is that God is no longer hidden, but plain to see by all the people. As a people, the Israelites have moved from emptiness to fullness because Yahweh is the kind of God who keeps his promises. Yahweh is for us the kind of God who keeps his promises even when we can't see him, even when we are suffering, even when we are ungrateful, even when we break his heart. The journey of Exodus, of God's people from slavery unto death into the freedom to live, it takes place only because of a promise that God made to Abraham. A promise of the creation and redemption of Israel for the salvation of all the world. Yahweh is the God who keeps his promise. And in keeping that promise, Yahweh is the God, we also learn in Exodus, who delivers real freedom. You know, in many ways, as, as we've gone through this, we can really say that Exodus is a book that's basically split in two. The first half of the story is fast-paced and sequential. And, and it's so fast-paced and sequential, it's so familiar to us that we can easily re relate to the nuances of freedom that are revealed through this part of the journey. I mean, in this first part of the book of Exodus, to be free is to no longer be silenced. To be free is to no longer be ignored. To be free is to no longer be neglected. To be free is to be heard. To be free is to be acknowledged through a burning bush, an outstretched arm, the provision of manna in the desert and water from a rock. That's freedom. To be free is to no longer be a slave. It's to no longer be a commodity. To be free is to no longer be a means to an end. To be free is to be rescued to experience salvation through the conquering of an oppressor, through the blood on a doorpost, through the parting of the waters, that's freedom we know. That's the kind of freedom we understand. That's the kind of freedom that we long for, we welcome to be heard, to be rescued. But there's more to the story in Exodus as we learned. There's more to being free than we realize. The second half of the Exodus story, in many ways, in contrast to the first, so fast-paced, so sequential, the second half of the story seems to grind to a halt. Everything slows down. It takes longer to get anywhere. There are all these rules, instructions, and regulations. 
The action-packed events of the first half culminate in a mass of people alone in the desert waiting for something to happen next. And as we read this story, and often when we study it, when it's preached on, as we mentioned throughout this series, we get to this screeching halt, these rules, these regulations, these detailed instructions, and almost paralleling the Israelites, we're tempted to turn back to the chapters about Egypt. And what would happen if we did so and we did not, is we would miss that this is the part of the story where God really delivers for his people. This is where our understanding of what it means to be free explodes. Those who were once enslaved and are now free are free, but free for what? What's next? What's next is precisely how the Israelites should live their lives if they are to remain free. Freedom for Israel is more than being heard. It's more than being rescued. Freedom for Israel, as we learn together, meant being guided. As a people, they needed to know that the purpose of their exodus from Egypt had not been to cut them loose to do whatever they wanted. Their liberation from Egypt was so that they could know who they truly were. Back in Egypt, the Israelites repeatedly heard God say through Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. But now they needed to learn how to live into that declaration, into their identity as the Lord's people. They needed to learn how they are to worship. They needed to learn how they were to behave. They needed to learn how they were to approach the Lord and each other. And this is important that we spend some time here. It's important that we don't forget this lesson because many people, especially today, like to pretend that these kind of things don't matter. Skip the rules, the instructions, and the regulations. Anyone should be able to behave however he or she likes. The idea behind that philosophy is that we're most free when we can be whoever or whatever we want to be. But the biblical truth, the truth of Exodus, is that we can't be whoever we want to be. We can only be who we are. True freedom is not found in doing what you want. True freedom is not found in trying on different identities. True freedom is discovering, knowing to whom you belong. And in out of that place, understanding what defines you, what makes you who you are. From the outset, Yahweh reveals to Pharaoh that his intentions are this. Let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. Freedom is being guided. Freedom is being set apart for something. It's learning not only that you have an identity. Freedom is learning that you have a destiny. That there is a place, a promised land to go out to from the abyss, out of the hell that we come out of. Of all the definitions and specificities of the tabernacle, all the sacrifices and all the, the, the detail of the priesthood, they're all provided as boundaries. All of the Ten Commandments, all the sample case laws that we looked at were provided as standards. Boundaries and standards that point us in a specific direction. They help us to stay on the path. To get us to where we're supposed to go more quickly. More directly, without delays and without accidents. We need to hear this. We need to understand this dimension of freedom because sometimes we think true freedom is God letting us go our own way. True freedom is God letting us make our own way in the world. 
But it's a lie. The ability to choose our path is often associated as being the highest expression of our freedom and our independence. But it's a lie. Exodus teaches us that that is not when we are most free. Exodus says that we are most free when we, not, we don't blaze our own trail. We are most free when we live into the calling that we have been given. God dwells with us. He dwells with us. He leads us in order to take us somewhere specific. In order for us, each of us, to play a part in that journey. Freedom, then, is not looking for and finding God wherever you want to see him. Freedom means following God and realizing that where God is, where he is, is always home. That means God is wherever you find him. Wherever you find yourself and your, his people, God is at work, God is at home, God's at the store, God's at the gas station. God will be gathered around our Thanksgiving tables if we invoke his presence, if we acknowledge that he has gone before us. And in that moment when we realize that freedom is about being guided, that freedom is about being set apart, we realize that freedom is not about us. True freedom isn't self-serving. The Lord delivers us so that we will deliver others. So that we will become a kingdom of priests. So that we will become a light to the nations. God seeks to make his presence known through us, through me, through you, so that we would serve him in the world each and every day. Beloved, we are free to serve. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's who this God is. And God with us means that's who we are. Exodus ends with the completion of all things that God had commanded to be built. The priestly garments, the golden lampstand, the ark, the altar, the tabernacle itself, all finished. And then as we heard, the Lord God himself, as promised, descended upon the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord, it was repeated several times in just a few verses. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God had taken up residence in the midst of his people. But you might have missed in the midst of the, the, the immediacy of the moment, the very last verse of the story. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. During all their travels. During all their travels is the Bible's way of telling us that even though Israel has been rescued from slavery in Egypt, even though the people have received the Ten Commandments, even though God himself now dwells in the midst of his people, during all their travels tells us that the story is not yet done. The journey is not yet at an end. The end of Exodus in many ways we find out is only the beginning of the story of salvation. Beloved, ours is a story that spans a cosmic history. It's a story fragrant with grace and laden with truth. A truth and a grace to redeem, to reconcile, to restore. As God first promised to Abraham, all things, all people. And therefore the goal of the book of Exodus, the story of liberation, is not liberation. That's not the goal as many would have it. It's not guidance through life, through the pillars and the clouds. The goal is that God would live among us. Not just in a tent, but
but in our own flesh. Judges, kings, and prophets of Israel will carry the message, this is only the beginning. They will carry that message to the Apostle John, who will finally declare in the first chapter of his gospel, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And if you were to go there right now, it would say the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the Greek word that John uses there is better translated tabernacled because it's the Greek word for tent. John is not making a, a mistake. John wants us to remember the end of this story as we come to the end of the grand story of salvation. John wants us to understand that the word of God who is the son of God who received the name called Jesus Christ, tented in our midst, full of grace and truth. And so at the end of Exodus, a modest tent in the wilderness reminds us once more that it's precisely in the ordinary places of life that our God most often meets us and fills us with his very self. And in a few weeks, we will once again marvel as God's presence is in a stable, as God's presence is in a manger, as God's presence is in the skin, the breath of a baby. That's the Christmas story. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. This is the story that we will continue to marvel at and celebrate in the weeks ahead. The story of Exodus is the journey of faith. It's the story of the faith of a people in a God who shows faith in them, who remains faithful to them despite their repeated unfaithfulness. It's the story of a God who keeps his promises, even if it takes the blood, sweat, and tears of his only begotten son on the cross. It is the story of a God who delivers, who delivers us, who conquers death and storms the very gates of hell to set us free. And we are free. We are free to be set apart, to become, by the promise of Pentecost, tabernacles ourselves of the living God, the living God of Moses, the living God made incarnate in Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters in the faith, in this journey, the end of Exodus is only the beginning of a story that will lead us all the way to the base of a cross outside Jerusalem, all the way to an empty tomb, all the way to the day when we will be made to dwell with God, to tabernacle with him, not on earth, but in heaven. And until then, we have been called out, we have been delivered, we have been set apart to witness, to serve, to embody this kind of love, this kind of grace, this truth and only this truth of our God as we work in the world. Let us in the midst of darkness and doubt. Let us in the midst of the reality of slavery and suffering in our own time and in our own day. Let us, as many still complain and grumble, let us declare by faith through the testimony of our very lives, through the testimony of our community as Grace Lutheran Church that God is with us. Amen? Amen.